Hey everyone, Steve here. Really quick before we jump into the episode, Logan and I recorded this episode on Tuesday, April 13th, uh, which was the night before everyone woke up to the announcement of the blockbuster trade that sent Tina Charles from the New York Liberty to the Washington Mystics, uh, with the Liberty picking up Taylor Hill, Shatori Walker, Kimbrough, and first round picks plus a few second round picks, Dallas picking up picks next year. Listen, a lot of things happened and that's as far as we know right now, uh, for all we know, we don't have all the news on, on these moves, uh, the trade and anything else, any other teams are getting. So that could switch up and heck we might find out of another trade. That's moving a lot of things around because the, right now the Liberty and the wings take up half of the first round of Friday's draft. So part of you wonders if we're going to see even more shakeup. Basically, we recorded an episode because we wanted to catch up on a lot of news and then even more news happened. We just wanted to make that note in case you're curious why there was no mention of it in the general episode. So uh, we may drop something else. We'll see to talk a little bit into this or we may just hold off until draft day so that we don't miss any other pre-draft festivities. Uh, but definitely keep an eye out. We'll have some more stuff for you before the end of the week just wanted to drop this before we got started and yeah thanks enjoy the episode Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. hey guys this is liz Candace. this is nikki collin what up guys this is Evan Clark. hey this is imani lee stafford hey this is jordan canada this is asia Wilson. welcome to the wnba nation how's it going nobody's WNBA fans, friends along the world. Uh, this is a special edition of WNBA Nation. Uh, we've typically been trying to come to you guys on, on kind of a weekly. We thought we'd do a midweek because a bunch of cool stuff has happened. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm here with Logan Jones. How's it going, Logan? It's going good. Um, just based on the length of our, our pre-record today, there's obviously way more to talk about than we've had in probably months at this point. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited for just that alone, just a distraction from everything else going on in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that we can bring that to, uh, to our listeners. It's interesting. Cause like, uh, um, I saw this recently online with someone saying like, Oh man, if there's anything I miss, you know, it's eating, going out to eat or it's doing this or it's doing that. Like, I think the thing I've missed the most during all this, and I think you're going to understand what I mean when I say this is chatter. Chatter isn't idle talk, just like having things to talk about. Chatter is a thing happened and we're just going to riff about it. And that just hasn't existed in the last four weeks. No, well, it has, but it's always been like, <laughs> is this like the end times? <laughs> yeah, like, like <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. Like, it's going to be real interesting. Yeah, like, it's, who knows? Yeah, exactly. It's so I've missed just like, like pseudo water cooler talk. I, I honestly believe of, that's why Tiger King got big is it was just something that we could all collectively like talk you. about. This is legitimately exactly what I told Jenny, my wife, like four hours ago. We were talking and I said, if the if the global pandemic didn't happen right at the release of that podcast, it doesn't get nearly the traction it does now. Like it will be one of those things that trends and gets its own Twitter moment and people talk about it. But after the weekend, it's done. It's not a part of the cultural zeitgeist if people had anything else to do with their lives. <laughs> And which is why, like, I've already talked to you about the McMillions one uh, uh, documentary from Hulu that I was like, this is like a thousand times better than that Tiger podcast, but no one will know it because now we're in a phase where 
Uh, it's like it's just not as exciting to find something to watch. It, <laughs> like the timing in it. If you're out there and and you're like, man, in in like 40 minutes, I'm going to be done listening to this podcast, and I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have to fill the time with something to watch. And you're looking for a documentary, find McMillions or find Hoop Dreams. That's oh yeah, that's you the direction you want to go. Yeah, um, golly, this is a conversation just we're not even prepared to have. But like, not even sports documentaries. Hope Dreams is a top 10 sports movie, right? Hoop Dreams might be one of the, just the best films I've ever seen in my life. Which is almost a direct quote from Roger like, Ebert. That's, that is the quote, and it, it, but I, I believe it. Like, it's as far as just, like, I mean, it hits all the right notes for me because it's a basketball movie, but just as a movie, I, I feel like if you're listening yeah. to this podcast, you're probably into hoops. Um, but even if you've got friends who aren't into hoops, who are coming over for movie nights or watching them over Zoom with you, I guess. Man, remember movie nights? Um, yeah, <laughs> that when you'd watch, watch movies watch in the same place. Dreams. Watch who? Like, here's the thing: is so like every field has, uh, like the the facet that's like, you mean to tell me you're into this, but you've never done that? Like, you're into music, but you don't you don't know about the Beatles? Like, like that. There's that thing. If you're a big thirty for thirty fan and you tell me you love sports documentaries, but you haven't watched Hoop Dreams, like I'm cutting off the conversation. <laughs> Come back to me in roughly three hours. Um, to yeah, me, it, I, I can say with confidence that it's the best basketball movie in any format I've ever it is, watched. It is the best basketball movie, and it, and more than that, it's probably the movie that all the thirty for thirty directors watched and said, "This is what I want to do." Yeah, and I think on top of it, uh, to to brand this into the show, I actually think we might be ripe for a for like a female hoop dreams. Oh. Heck yeah. Down the road. Like, I think the return of Hoop Dreams, like, to do it from the women's spec, like, spectrum, which I think makes sense because I just think culturally it makes sense. Like, I think about what Jewel did with the She Got Game preview. I sit here, it's like, man, if we could tap back into high school Jewel yeah, well, to watch her on Hoop Dreams. If, like, if you like, have no idea what we're talking about right now, this is basically like, like, if you read the Ali Quigley Players Tribune article, but instead of reading it and seeing photographs of her as a kid, if you got yeah. to follow her, like yeah. footage of her as a kid. These documentarians followed two high school basketball players around for, I want to say, six years. And they came from different walks of life. Like, well, they're from the same area, but one ended up getting a scholarship to a like a nice private school, like think Simeon High from Chicago type of nice place. And the other one stuck it out in like inner city public school and you got to watch and chronicle these two high school basketball careers with a film crew who got to follow them closely during that whole time. And you got to know their families and you got to know their neighborhoods. And it was just one of those things that was like, you learned more about that type of grind than anything else. And I think like in the world where like slam magazine is following around Paige Beckers and her high school basketball team for a year, like it's there's ripe potential for the return of hoop dreams to be done on the women's spectrum. Like I, like I would just, I'd eat that right up. Oh, that'd be awesome. We weren't even prepared to have this conversation, but you mentioned Ellie Quigley, which I'm glad you did. Um, because we, we have two main points we were going to hit. And then we reached out to our followers on Twitter at WNBA nation pod. If you want to check us out there, uh, and asked for some questions. We have done a Q&A in a while, so we're going to end this with a quick lightning round Q&A. But we had two things that 
when they occurred, Logan and I were like, we can't wait until next week just to do a draft review. We have to hit these as soon as possible. So we're going to hit them both real quick. First things and foremost, can we talk about how Adley quickly saved horse on Sunday? <laughs> I saved it. I, I want the, the, the game was dead. <laughs> I I want the t-shirt who's coming in the, second. And and I'm not oh, a from breaking tea, yeah. Yeah, I'm not an instant buy that t-shirt guy. Like I think that it gets a little bit overdone, like, oh I'll put it on a t-shirt. Like some moments are just better remembered as good sports moments. But which one of you guys is coming in second? Um is is one of my more favorite sports quotes that's come out in recent yeah. years. And it is it the, the horse twenty twenty challenge is probably gonna be one of those things we forget about. Uh, after after not too long, but I hope that doesn't go away because that's that's actually low key yeah. like great WNBA branding you, the, the way that she worded that. You brought up the comparison to the Max Muncie "Go Get It Out of the Ocean" T-shirt, which became like Dodger <laughs> merch canon. Like it's like you have to own it to I, to be. In I want one, and I'm a Boston yeah. fan. <laughs> not not even not even like a Sky fan. I feel like if you're a WNBA fan, like having a which one of you guys is coming in second shirt just feels right. The only other shirt that I legitimately like more is the Washington State Bird shirt from like the only Breaking Tea one I like more. I don't know if you've seen that one. But it says the Washington State Bird, and it's a it's a portrait of Sue Bird. I I like and that one, and I like the. Is it the Hamby Heave? Is it the Ooh, same? Yeah, where they do That's the they have the play outline. I f- can't believe I forgot about that. That one rules. Um, yeah. yeah, she she Brit- did though. She did save the horse challenge because as yeah. as you mentioned, it it was almost unwatchable because these guys like they were taking spot up jumpers as though they were just mm-hmm. taking like some low key like practice reps, and that's not what horse is about. Horse is about creativity. Yeah, it's like um, you, you can't just is it. Did you say Mike Conley was the one that was just like, how about I take an elbow jumper? And Trey every, Young was like, I will take a free throw. I mean, this talking about Mike Conley, every his his main camera was on the right side of the court. And the way that they broke down every shot was they had to pr- basically proclaim their shot. Like, I'm going to shoot from here with this hand, bank swish, whatever. Right. And every single one of Mike Conley's shots started with, all right, right side of the court. Like, his main goal is, like, I want to take as few steps as possible. And, that's not and just, like, hit some about. jumpers. Horses and about that's t- me finding out that Mike Conley secretly yeah. rides the unicycle. That's what yeah. I wanted. The one that was well, – remind me of this in a second we hear this. But I was going to say, like, it, this is on top of the fact that Mike Conley had easily the most unfair advantage of any player in this him playing in basically a legitimate high school gym that he owned on his property while 2020 Naismith Hall of Famer Tamika Catchings is in a windy, freezing driveway <laughs> um, was was just like, this is ridiculous. He's like, she legitimately missed shots that when I watched them, I was like, no, I mean, legitimately the wind caught like you could watch it stop <laughs> and hit hit the backboard like, oh. And it sucks because like Conley hit a couple of cool shots. Like I talked to you, he had like the the offhand scoop over the backboard. Like it was kind of a cool shot. That was decent. But the one person that because that was the thing I was talking about, like props. And I get it. You're in separate places. You can't count on props. Like the one interesting thing Paul Pierce did was he tried. He really, really, really wanted to try to do a shot on a scooter. Uh, but Zach Levine didn't have. Or was it Zach Levine that he shot against? I think it was. Like, didn't really have access to a scooter. 
So like I couldn't do it. It was like the one mo- like mo- Paul Pierce moment. I was like, oh, that's interesting. We're not here to talk about any of that though. We're here to talk about Ali Quigley being dope. Um, so there's so many dynamics of this that were fun, and one of them is it was fun watching Quigley, uh, you know, win the first round of of the horse challenge to break on through to put herself on a good stage. How much to you does it add that it was against perennial all-star Chris Paul? Uh, it was fun. I, you know, Chris Paul at the height of his Chris Paulness, I really hated the guy. Um, now that he, this kind of happens with NBA players as they age. Um, but uh, you know, you kind of learn to respect a guy after a certain amount of time. I think the hype surrounding him kind of died down. So I actually have nothing against Chris Paul at this point, but it was fun that, I, someone who is a supporter of the women's game and, and obviously respects, you know, female ballers, you know, went up against Sally quickly and lost. And it's a name that people recognize. So now I think people are maybe buying into like, Oh, like I didn't know about women's basketball, but she beat Chris Paul. And I know who that is. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think that's cool. And to your point, and I saw this tweet and I loved it. It was right in the middle of the competition. Someone said, apparently Ali quickly is the only person who knows how to play horse. Because that was the conversation we were having was I, I like Trey Young a lot. He's like three of his first four shots for free throws. Like, all right, I'm going to take a free throw. Like, no, like the main point of horse is let's take shots that you never would get to see me try because I wouldn't do them in a game. Right. Like, the, let's play Harlem Globetrotters for a while. That's the point. So, yeah, your goal it, I, is to make your friend go, ah, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, like <laughs> Trey Young is one of the most popular people in that whole lineup. And he makes his millions and he has a legion of fans. I don't want to watch you shoot a free throw. I will pay good money to watch Allie Quigley shoot the pistol Pete from, from sitting down on the floor bank shot. It was the best thing ever. Or, you know, doing floaters off one leg. Like she, my favorite thing was watching, you know, the two best parts of that were a watching her take consistently fun shots and my second was proud mama, Courtney Dersloot, scooting around the driveway to try to get her on camera. Uh-huh. It was like everything about it was was fun. It was I think I talked about how it was the height of Americana, right? <laughs> like po- ponytail, ponytail, like rolled up hoodie on a cobblestone driveway in the Midwest. And, it was, you know. And by the way, if you do want to take a free throw, take it on one foot. Take it with one hand. Take it blindfolded. Take yeah. like do something that is like, ooh, the, like that's the most the most I saw was sometimes they'd be like, uh, shoot it with your left. Yeah. Like, like No, like you all are you're you're NBA players with billion dollar contracts. You have four story houses. If you're not taking at least one shot from your roof, what are we even doing here? <laughs> <clears throat> like it's it, that's the thing that, that was, yeah, get, was getting to me, but go get the dude perfect guys and, and a couple WNBA players and be like, we just want to see you do stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> legitimately like on Thursday they everyone needs to have at least one like I'm not going to call it a shot everyone needs one stunt like something that's just like you got a hot air balloon like I like something that that's just out there and that's what made Quigley's performance really fun was she took really fun really skilled shots um was going shot for shot with Chris Paul like Chris Paul was making difficult you know, long jumpers. She was making those with ease. There was definitely a point where you could tell he was like, Oh, I can't just like fake her out by, you know, taking a 20 footer from the corner. Like she's always going to make that. There was, 
there were points where legitimately like she would go for a shot and he would just say like please just miss it <laughs> like like you could just almost tell a frustration point and i love like there was such an underdog style like it almost came analogous of the status of of women in athletics of while there was a charm to Allie in her driveway and all of that, but it was against Chris Paul in his pristine, like outdoor park of a basketball court, perfectly trimmed trees, professional cameras, like everything about his, his whole setup was perfect. Like it, it was that case of like, it was, it was this weird David and Goliath setup. And it was by far the most interesting matchup of the entire night. Like it saved that whole two hours because up until that matchup, I can say this with confidence. That horse challenge was the most boring sporting event I've ever watched on television. And I've watched several marathons. <laughs> like it, and it really was one of those cases of, and listen, I'm not trying to out ESPN. Like what else could you have done production wise in the middle of this crisis? But it was definitely one of those, like it was exactly what you expected it would be. Like it was people on Zapruder, you know, iPhone cameras taking shots from their house. Like it, there was nothing about it that was, let's try to add a dynamic here. And I get it. What could you have possibly done? But it really was one of those, the, the thirst for just having some sport to watch was not enough to make it interesting until two people showed up in a matchup and were like, Hey, let's actually try to make some fun shots. And that happened. It was interesting. And for someone like Quigley to take it on the stage, I think there were a lot of people that when, when Allie was the name called, especially people that are fringe fans of the league or don't really follow the WNBA, you're expecting to hear DT. You're expecting to hear Sue Bird. You're expecting to hear Asia Wilson, maybe. Like, you weren't expecting Allie Quigley. Now, WNBA fans were like, y'all about to learn because we've watched what she can do from any distance with a basketball. I love that they, they were showing several clips of her just eating people alive in three point contests. Um, <clears throat> I, and I loved that in a very simple way. Um, a lot of people got to know a WNBA player that they really should know. Yeah. And, and that's what I liked about it is it was, it was super endearing. I, I want to take a quick switch on your end. So obviously we, we move into the semifinal and the final of the horse challenge, which will take place on Thursday on ESPN. Um, so we, we've outed Chris Paul, uh, the semifinal matchup is going to be against Zach Levine. Zach Levine straight skunked, uh, uh, Paul Pierce, like horse to zero, however you call the score. Um, realistically, as you look at Ali's performance, things of that nature, how do you see Thursday panning out from your head? I think I think I can say with confidence how you, how you and I would like it to pan out. Obviously, yeah. Uh, but to start things out, like what, like where do you see that going, or oh, what I, keys I like to performance both. do you have? Anything like that? I like them both, and I think Levine takes this sort of thing not not seriously. He's not going to go at it like like it matters. Like it's just a horse challenge, but. Like he took the dunk contest seriously enough to come armed with a lot of creative ideas. And so I, I think he'll do the same here. I don't think he's just uh, going to sleepwalk through it the way yeah. some people did in the first round. So I think it'll be a good, a good test to see who comes with kind of the more, uh, I guess the more creative takes on it and also who can adapt quickly. Like, like if she, if Allie quickly decides to take one, you know, from the corner behind the backboard, is Levine going to be able to be like, ah, oh, I, I don't practice this, but I, I can hone in and, and nail that shot. Like, 
Yeah. That's what horse is really supposed to be. So maybe it'll be a more interesting. Which, by the way, it was round. weirdly Chris Paul's like biggest weakness. He could not get a ball over the backboard to save himself. To the point that it was hysterical. He made it one time because it bounced twice at the top of the standard and yeah, then we, fell in. You wondered on our last episode whether he would maybe have like the dad shot on lock. And that to me, that's the dad shot is the it looks easy. I'm standing three feet away from the rim. Yeah. But you're going to try it 20 times and maybe get it no, once. It's funny because like this, this classic Larry Bird over the backboard is the the greatest dad shot in professional basketball history. Like the dad shot that happened in a game. That was the dad shot. He just like kind of chucked it in the air and it went in. And that really was like, you expected him to just have that on lock. And he physically, the first two times he did it, he didn't even get it over the backboard. Like it hit the back of the backboard. And in his head, he's like, Oh, I didn't get it over. Let me try it again. And he had to stop. you like, Oh wait, no, that was my it's, turn. It's gotta be so hard. If you've, I've never practiced anything for the amount of time. Chris Paul has practiced shooting a basketball. It's gotta be so hard yeah. to teach your body to do it wrong. After all that time that I, I feel for him a little bit. Cause he's probably his his muscle memory and his head are just like, just, just do it. And then his body takes over and is like, no, don't shoot it over the rim. That's, you know, over the backboard, that's dumb. Yeah, it'd be like, it'd be like, uh, hey, we're going to have a baseball game and we just got Clayton Kershaw to be our pitcher. Oh, wait, but we forgot to tell you it's a wiffle ball game. <laughs> like suddenly, like, OK, it's one of the best pitchers of all time, but. But it is wiffle ball. Like, so there was a little bit of difference to it, I get in that sense. That said, I think one thing I noted from Zach in his round was, I mean. He definitely is like peak conditioning in his career. And he was taking very classic, like, shoot around shots. So it was, it was comfortable, easy fadeaways. It was angled distance shots. A lot of stuff that he could be pretty well automatic in that, um, I think in his head, he goes, Hey, if I just keep making these eventually, like, they'll slip. <laughs> if I'm Ali, I think my biggest key is like this week. If I'm practicing for this, and she is, I don't see her not. I'm working as much on my front court game as I can. Like, I'm trying to make the most sophisticated layups I can. Because what I noted with Zach, especially against Paul Pierce, there was a there was a no dunking rule. And so a couple of things Zach did was he would do something that was as close to a dunk as he could. Because there was one point where he's like, all right, jump in the air, hand off the back of the backboard, wrap around, and then lay it up on the other side. <laughs> That's mean. All he didn't do was put his hand on the rim as it went in, right? And so it's kind of like just find the most sophisticated, like practice up and under, you know, practice offhand, like scoop layups, see if you can get the ball. Like, like try to find really strange angles you might normally not practice and see if you can make that happen. And take it from there. I think when it comes to just pure shooting, you're fine. <laughs> Don't even stress yourself with the ability to take a set or a jump shot. Yeah, if, if there's one thing you know about Allie Quigley, who we talk about all the time on the show because she's just one of our favorite players, is that she can match anybody in the world, just like shot for shot. Um, yeah. So that's not going to be the way to beat her. I, you know, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, I, I hope it's more exciting. I, it, maybe it'll be exciting enough to tear me away from watching you know, Ken Griffey Jr. highlights and, and other sports things on YouTube. Uh, I would love that. I would love a reason to watch a live sporting event and have it be, you know, I want it to be exhilarating the way 
you know when you're invested in something and your heart rate goes up and you're like, I'm a little annoyed that I'm that into this. I want that again. Mm-hmm. I miss that. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so, so wrapping this up really quick, I think first and foremost, I, I think both of us, I don't think it's outlandish to say if we're pushing quickly to the final, the other side is, is Chauncey Billups and Mike Conley. So just off of a whim, who do you have taken that matchup? I'll, I'll take who's, Chauncey. Who's, who's playing I, for second in the final? I think Chauncey's playing for second. I I like the idea of a Chauncey Alley Quigley or a, or a Chauncey Levine matchup. I think those are both worthwhile. I I don't have anything against Mike Conley. I feel like Kyle uh, Kyle got after him a little bit uh, last time as a as a Jazz fan. I actually quite like Mike Conley. Um, but as you said, he's he doesn't seem to be in it for the entertainment value. He's just doing it because they asked him to, and he's nice. So <laughs> See, that's where I actually have it in my head. I think there was a point in the first round against Trey where it was clear that, like, Chauncey wants to win. <laughs> he just hit a point where he's just like, I, you know what, if I'm doing this, I'm not going to lose. So I see that happening, um, which, you know, congrats to him for taking second. So we'll see how that goes. But I, so I think, yeah, I think it comes without saying that, you know, I think we back up out it really quick though. I guess last thing I'll hit on this is there. We watched, we watched Quigley make a classic with, with the Pete Maravich shot. She also, this didn't get called out, replicated the DT uh, finals winner, which was against the sky. Um, do you have another, is there, what, what do you, what next, what, I guess callback do you want to see next come come from Alan? The, the thing so, I anyway. wanted her to do in the three point competition was the Larry Bird final three in the three point competition hit the bucket and walk off the court before you even watch it go through the net. Yeah, um, if she can work that into the game of horse somehow, like like if she's just if she's way ahead and she knows she's about to hit a, a shot that Levine can't do, I really like the idea of a, a little bit of a walk off you know, shoot the shot from three quarters court and then just start walking to the exit. Like, yeah, I got you. You're not making that shot. Gotcha. I, I, not necessarily a difficulty shot, but just something about swagger. Yeah. Add a flourish. Just, just give it a little flair at the end. I'd be interested to see, cause I think, I think if you take an hour on a zoom call with Megan Rapino, you can learn to maybe see if you can get a shot off your knee. <laughs> or do that classic like soccer ball like roll up from the floor over your head and get it in see if you can do something fun I've, I've that way I've always wanted someone to do that in the dunk contest like pass <clears throat> yeah. it to themselves that way in the dunk contest the closest that ever happened was that someone did um, a dunk off of a Steve Nash header I don't know if you remember that oh yeah Steve Nash soccer header to basketball and, and they caught it for a dunk which is kind of cool it's like one of the more underrated dunks it was kind of fun um, so there's something to that effect or, uh, the other t- idea is like, I'm trying to think of some movie shot ideas, like do it, a, a Jimmy Chitwood or something to that effect that just like, you, like a callback to that. The only other thing I could think of, I think Allie has it in her to make a shot with not a basketball, if that's possible, like out of nowhere, if she's got like Zach at H O R S like, all right, uh, we're just going to do a free throw. But it's with a football. 
<laughs> just pull pull out a it's football, like, drain it, and just like uh, there's nothing more that I want to see than like a five minute break because we have to watch Zach Levine scour through his house to find a football and like pump it up with his air pump because it's the one yeah. that's been sitting in the yard for a long time. That's a very horse move to do. Yeah, just like this is the best I can do is a nerf. Is this that gonna count? No, it's got to be a real football. Like, oh, okay. Uh, so run, like runs across the street to a neighbor's. Like, you got a football? Like, that would be a that's probably against a rule, but that's that's what horse should be. Like, that's the type of. Uh, anyway, I, obviously, I think it, I don't think we're being outlandish in in, in giving our support to Ali in that sense. Uh, but Thursday, ESPN will be the semifinal and the final of the horse challenge. So we'll see how that goes. And of course, Friday is the draft. But before we hit much of that, obviously, with Friday being the draft, there's a lot of focus that's going to be on that event, virtual draft. There's a most consensus telling us that Sabrina Inescu is going to be heading to New York with the first pick. And New York decided to add one more flair to the news cycle before they hit the draft with announcing, I'd say a tweak maybe, but you can call it a rebrand, with the Liberties movement from Nick's ownership over to Nets ownership, uh, they cleaned up some rebrand. They took blue and orange out of their general color scheme, uh, did some stylistic cleanup to their general logo. Now most of the focus is on the 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 green blue with uh you know with a black sea foam. That's I was trying to remember the name of the official color. So the sea foam and black setup. Uh, so you know strong cleanup there. Their word mark and letterhead was cleaned up. Their letters are generally the same. Uh, and then they also uh, released their uniform, which is basically the WNBA uniform, but with those colors. And I made that sound negative, but there's a lot to be excited about. Cutting right to it, Logan, what grade do you give the Liberty rebrand? A. I'm giving it an A. This is a good rebrand because it's I'm it's more than a tinker. This. It's more than a tinker because getting rid of the blue and orange is big. And they also redesigned the torch. Uh, they did They did more than just orient it correctly. Cleaning uh, up actually, the torch is huge. Yeah, they they made the ball like the seafoam ball and flame look much better. That the torch itself mo- looks much better. It's just it's more symmetrical. They did away with the weird three D tilt that they were going for. That kind of made it look dated. This is the mm. best version of this logo that I think you can get. Uh, yeah, I like that. A they they did they stopped tilting the torch because that isn't what Lady Liberty does with the torch. Uh, for some reason, that's always been a sticking point with me. It's like, that's not how she holds the torch. Um, obviously, I love the focus on seafoam because it's a callback to the statue. It's one of the more unique colors for a sports team, and it pops like hell. Like, it, it really it's is a solid so color. good. It's so good on its own as, like, the base color of a jersey. And mm-hmm. you know how I feel about black for the sake of black uniforms, but it looks good as the trim to a black uniform. This is a this is a black pe- the one that's money. I, I think when they showed their promos for the jerseys, a lot of the emphasis was on the seafoam jersey. But I think a lot of people immediately were like, listen, a Sabrina jersey in black with the seafoam trim. That's like where the money's going to be made. Yep. yep. Um, it, that could wouldn't say no to one of those for Christmas. Is there potential in your mind for that to become like a bestseller within weeks after the draft if it goes that direction i i think so because i i know how oregon fans are frankly this is this is going to seem like a leap but i'm dead serious oregon fans are all about Mariota's tennessee titans uh they're they're a faithful crew because that was their dude 
and and he got them to a national championship. Didn't win it, but like he was their dude for a lot of years. And they they love him and they stick with him and they're big jersey buyers because they're Ducks fans and Nike's right there and like that's that is a uniform conscious fan base. Uh, and frankly, the Liberty uniforms are going to look really nice. So if it's possible, uh, because WNBA merch, as we know, is sometimes hard to come by. Uh, I, I do think a lot of Oregon fans and a lot of New York fans who are kind of starving for, uh, for returning to the playoffs and contendership, uh, are going to be super excited to have, you know, a future star in their, yeah, in their threads. And, and honestly, I think it will help that it is a rebrand at the time of, we, we've talked about this before. When a team gets good, right when they change their look, it just amplifies how good the look is. Yep. It really, it really adds to it. And there's a long history behind that. The two, the two things I will say, actually three things that I'll say, I'll try to make them quick. One, the general setup of the word mark, I've never been a fan of. I think it's a little too sophisticated, but they took the shadowing off, which cleaned it up quite a bit. I like it a lot more. It's a bit less gaudy. I think it's a solid look. They cleaned up everything. Like there's really no shading or gradients to it. If there is, it's very minor. You have black on white on seafoam. It's a solid setup. I really like that. The the two general thoughts I have on this are I love the pop of the jerseys. This is not an indictment on the Liberty. This is on the WNBA. It just kills me that you have a rebend this strong so that you can roll out a jersey that has three corporate logos and no number on the front. Like it's it, yeah, like, it is tough. It's tough. It it's frustrating. So like I get it. FanDuel's giving you a lot of coin. I get that. But man, if I could see Liberty right there. And then the logo is cool. Put the number right where the logo goes. Maybe move the main logo over to like one of the short legs. Like you have, oh gosh, it just it'd be something special. I, I you wish and, you could you do I, something yeah. else with either FanDuel or AT and T because I think the shoulder patch and one either like above or below the logo I think would be okay. But I think it's the logo being sandwiched between them makes it feel like it's not being emphasized by the uniform. It's just one of the images Absolutely. on the uniform. Absolutely. It's like it's 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 a strong shame for me and it really frustrates it's like it's one of those frustrating points that like a lot of people would want to say, like, why are you making such a big deal out of it? I don't think it's I'm making a big deal out of it. I think I'm making the right amount of deal about of it out of it. Like also, it's frustrating. And and this is a pet peeve of mine that brands need to ease off of in, in every sport. A lot of brands have guidelines on what colors and things you can do to their logos and they don't like you messing with it. But like in the Seafoam uniform, the AT&T logo is black and on the black uniform, it's their sky blue logo. I wish they would just make the look like if you could do FanDuel and the shoulder patch and the AT&T thing all in like the Seafoam green to match the rest of the uniform. I think it's a little bit more passable. It doesn't yeah. stand out as much. And I don't know what, how, why you can't find a way to make that happen. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So uh, the the last thing, and this is probably nothing to anyone else but me. If the Barclays Center isn't finding some way to sell an ice cream cone rendition of the Torch logo, <laughs> it's such a miss. Even if it's technically a cup, but you call it like a Liberty Cone, and the cup is like a cardboard torch that you put a scoop of ice cream in. That's like you could do like a mint chocolate chip that's in sea foam and call it like Liberty Mint. I'm making you money right now, Barclays. That's like that's what I'm doing. Like I'm sorry, I, I'm being bullish right now, but Logan, tell me any part of my idea that isn't perfect. Uh, the only problem with it is I won't have any money to buy it because I want both a green and a black uniform. 
Uh, and so I'll be I'll be broke by the time I get to the concession stand. <laughs> maybe make maybe make that a deal. Like buy two jerseys, get a Liberty Cone for free. Like guys, I'm all I'm I'm on fire right now with like, just <laughs> making Liberty some hard coin. Also, and um, this is the last the last thing I'll throw out of this because this is something we haven't talked about yet. But is there a uniform in the league that goes better with the orange and oatmeal ball? Because I dig that, the seafoam and the ball look. Yeah, the promo photos uh, with with Becca and, and Kia, the because they both got a WNBA ball. It does pop well. I'm going through my head. The storm does a decent job. I'm going straight off my brain, like I'm trying to remember all the color schemes. The Phoenix is well. good because they've got orange, so orange and purple. Yeah, know. and their their orange sinks better, like better than like I would say, like better than I would say Connecticut's does. Connecticut is okay. Indiana's actually does decently well. Indiana's might be the, the biggest contender, actually. Anything with a Navy is, is going to do decent, but that's good. It's because the spectrum of colors just it, – it's a it's a color scheme that that with the ball – it allows every color somehow to pop, but in a way that's not overtly loud. Like every – it's the perfectly mixed salad. Like every color gets a chance to shine. I, that's what made this rebrand work. I just think they handled it extremely well. And it speaks for the value that you get out of leaving an abusive relationship with James Dolan. Like, yep. That's what <laughs> that's, like, that's, I would it, give it an A based on that alone. Yeah. <laughs> and like that probably is not an appropriate like terminology to use. It's just like getting out of that Dolan tyranny. You've got to do that. And then this is the type of thing that that you glean from it is, is things start to make sense and you start to make smart decisions. That's what you do when you get as far away from NBA Donald Trump as possible. Um, which <laughs> it was Donald Sterling for a long time. And then once he was gone, they were like, it needs to be someone. And Dolan popped up way too fast. Um, so <laughs> that was, this is the rest of the show. Just going to be me slamming on Jim Dolan. But, um, that was a weird way to end that segment. But oh no, I, I agree with you. I gave this an A. I thought it was a really solid thing. To me, it's it's just a shame we can't get more out of the jersey because I'm getting a lot out of the jersey already, and I think we could have gotten a yeah, ton more. I, and it's, I've already it seen uh, Sky Show's tweets about how we need the shorts, and I completely agree. I don't even know if oh, I would look good in the shorts, but I do want oh, the shorts. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. There was her money. Yeah, I want the shorts. Like, I'd wear those. They they should make pajama replicas of the shorts. They would wear just as pajamas. That's just for around the house like. That's just comfy. Oh man. This makes me so happy. Just, like any level of merch you can get in that color scheme is gonna be money. Like imagine getting like a beanie baby style teddy bear from the oh, gift yeah. shop. Like, if if I can get a hat, just like the surf like the the seafoam green hat with like the black logo on it, I or the reverse, the, the inverse of that. I will probably spend 30 bucks on a hat this year. Yeah, this is one of those. I, I'm trying, uh, obviously, with the virus, there's a lot of budgeting happening. But, like, I really want to make a goal of having some level of merchandise from every team. <laughs> I'm yet I'm yet to bite on Liberty, uh, con- like, to bite on a piece of Liberty merch yet. That's changing. In like, the last two days, I've spent a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Solid ref. Solid ref. Um it is, yeah, it's one of those that, like, that's happening. Like, it's 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 that good. Um, So those were the main topics that you and I had planned. I think with the last little bit, we did want to take a chance to, to hit our Q&A. Again, we reached out to our followers uh, at WNBA Nation Pod on Twitter. And by the way, same over on Facebook. 
And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a, a I was going to say like and subscribe. We're not a YouTube channel. Uh, give us a five star review, a comment, let us know you like the show. Check us out on Patreon, check us out on the store and all the cool stuff. Uh, I forgot to get that out of the way earlier, so I did it now. But over at WMA Nation Pod, we asked our followers to send us over some QA questions. So, Logan, we're going to end things with a pseudo lightning round. So, you don't need to answer these in generally 10 seconds, but we're going to try to get through as many of these as we can. Um, Thank you so much to everyone who took the time to respond. Uh, we're not going to be able to get through everything, but we'll do our best to get through what we can. Um, and then as we had noted on Twitter, uh, we will be doing a drawing uh, down the road and we'll reach out to any of our, anyone who submitted a question, uh, we'll, we'll reach out to you and we'll, we'll send some merch your way. Um, and I think we'll try making this a regular thing down the road. We, you know, at least monthly or so, we'll, we'll do a Q&A and, and a merch drawing and kind of find a way to, to have a fun chance to interact with listeners and and give back in some way or another. Uh, Logan, uh, if you're ready, I'm ready. We can jump right into this. I am ready. Um, now, here's the thing. A lot of these kicked off with a handful of, uh, I would say, like typical level of questions. There's a couple things that, uh, you know, we've answered a few times, so we might revisit those a little bit quickly. There's a couple questions also that are just going to be difficult to hit in general, and that'll make sense when we get to them. And that's just to say, for anyone who submitted questions, if we didn't get to you, uh, you know, we, we may be able to get this down the road or, you, you know, how it is trying to make time work. Uh, the other side of it, uh, if we go too quick on your question, there might be a lot of factors. We'll try to explain it. That said, I'm going to go hard nose with this first question. Cause this is one of like, I thought one of the most well thought out questions. I thought it was really interesting. We're just going to jump right into virus talk, which is a segment, by the way, Jason right now is going to drop in a sounder for virus talk. All right. So virus talk, Logan, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to do that or not, but if he does, it's going to land. Um, so Michelle King at DJ Sisterson on Twitter, uh, in particular to the very right asked, uh, I was wondering since many of players are under contract and the season is delayed, postponed, et cetera, could some players actually file for unemployment during, uh, the COVID, they said the COVID-19 era. So kind of during this period, okay. um, this actually couples also with Cheryl Mercer at Mosswood Muse. Uh, on Twitter um, asked if women will get any sort of pay if the 2020 season doesn't take place. And, and those are a little bit of different questions, but I think the first one's interesting on the unemployment side of things. And this is interesting because I think a lot of us, have, whether it's ourselves or people that we know have either been laid off or furloughed. And there's a lot of question on like, how does unemployment work? How do those pieces of feedback work? Obviously I don't have the direct answer for all I know, you do. It's you know I, you've, you've been there for me before. Like, how this would directly work with the WNBA? Since my understanding would be, if they're not playing, I, I, I haven't heard this directly. So if someone out in the Twitterverse knows differently, correct us. I haven't heard anything that tells me like they're not like players aren't receiving like paychecks in any format. Yeah. So it's it's dangerous for the league and and all sports leagues um, because they do so their players are under contract and. Like in, in other leagues, like for instance, baseball, this is a year that counts. Like it counts. Like you're a Dodgers fan, like Mookie Betts is with the Dodgers this year. We might not have a baseball season, but this is the year he's with them. And whether, whether they play it or not, it, it counts as the season. So they're WNBA players are under contract and they are employed. Yeah. Um, it, I, I was able to find some stuff on, uh, whether, you know, athletes in general could apply for unemployment in the off season when they weren't on. Uh, and in pretty much every state, they can't. Uh, yeah, but it because this is a special circumstance. I I I believe that everything WNBA and otherwise, just in every professional sport, 
Um, in fact, this is actually, this is probably part of the CBA that they just signed. Um, but they're, they're under contract to basically perform during their seasons and, and mm-hmm. are employed. Uh, and I think if the season never happens, they like that contract is still valid. It's not just, Hey, you didn't, you know, make your game check because I- there were no games. I almost think the equivalent that you would say is you almost just consider that every player in the league is on injured reserve is kind of how you kinda, treat it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a way, it's kind of like if you, you know, if you have an injury and you're out for the season, you didn't play a minute of the season and you're still, you're still although, liable to your contract. Yeah, still, although I think, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. If, if they have like a guaranteed contract, that's true. The, they actually, I think athletes can, if they're forced to retire for medical reasons, they actually can file for unemployment. So in that yes. sense, it's different, but but yeah, if if yeah. a player gets injured midseason and they've signed a contract for the year and it's it's hundred percent guaranteed, they're they're making that check either way. So I yeah. I will try to find a confirmed answer to this and maybe check with Kyle um, because he would know some resources we could check. But my understanding yeah. is it's the, the players want to play, but their yeah. their salary is not in like the, hanging in the balance. The only thing that I think would put a flux in that would be if there is a massive financial, like economic downturn. And from what I've seen from the NBA and other sports leagues, my, the pattern I've seen and what I would expect is I, I think teams would probably turn to the team administration first. Owners, high level administrators look at their values. A lot of professional sports teams have gone to owners and said, like, we're going to be going to those, you know, like those levels of employees and seeing what level we can cut there first before we start dabbling in, in contracts. I know for instance, like one of the main NBA heroes right now is, um, I just forgot his name. Super agent, rich Paul. I don't know how I forgot his name. Like rich, rich Paul has a standard of like, like guaranteed upfront pay for all of his players. So when the the NBA was talking about like the potential of like having to cut contracts here, like that's potential, like his players are paid for. So it just became this like, Oh wow. That's that's pretty smart. But I think in in this case, like that's, I think they would go to every Avenue possible before we would hit that. I don't think the unemployment level would come until a player is for all intents and purposes out of a job out of off contract. Yeah. The I'm reading up a little bit on this right now. And just from league to league, the the common thread is it depends on your CBA. Um, Like as far as you being paid. So I don't think any of them under contract and still being employed can file for unemployment, but they might not be making their full contract either. Like, like for instance, major league baseball is having like, like they're basically dealing with the players association, but they have like a living allowance per week. Uh, the NBA is still paying their typical salaries, but there's like some caveats and some things happening there. Um, the NFL it just depends on, on the CBA. Um, they might pay them for, like across a certain amount of weeks, but maybe not Mm -hmm. for the entire season. So it just, it depends on the league. uh, But I don't think any of them are able to claim like, Hey, like this affected my job. I'm filing for unemployment. Yeah. So I I think that makes sense. I would say that just, you know, looking at the CBA, I'd imagine that um, um, I, I would imagine it, you know, many of the benefits of the CBA promises would still be intact. I just think I, I I think the timing of the CBA really helps in this case. I think it helps protect the players in a lot of ways. And I can't put words in Kathy Engelbert's mouth. I, I can't imagine a scenario where she's not trying to put the player's interest first. Right. In in a lot of these cases. So I love that question. That was I was not expecting that. And I thought it was really well, well thought out. 
Um, and I, you know, I like the breakdown of, you know, you know, it was pay there and play. So, uh, you know, so Cheryl Mercer, Michelle King, thank you so much. I really like, that was actually a pretty cool discussion. Um, in a lot of ways, I'm going to jump into one topic that seems to come up every single time I've ever done a Q and a, <laughs> it's always a fun discussion, but it's one of those, like, I swear every single time. So, uh, polygram at polygram on Twitter. Um, as well as I know there was another one. Um, I'm Megan Miller, Megan Miller four, three on Twitter, uh, essentially asking, I think the first uh, question was hit Paul, Paul first specifically was what in your opinion, and maybe we'll both like pick one and we'll make it quick. Like what's the next great WNBA city. And then she also had a specific question about Toronto in specific. If you had to pick like, what's, what's a team without a city that you think would be like the next market to really like catch fire with a WNBA team. Hmm. What do you think it is? Uh, there are two obvious ones that I want to forego. And I, I'm not sure how you would answer this yet. And so I don't want to take any answers from you, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to skip two that I would normally go to and go a little bit different direction. I would say somewhere like maybe a Nashville uh, in like sec territory mm-hmm. might be a really good home for a WNBA team. Um, somewhere that's nearby some of those like powerhouse college teams where I think a lot of people become fans of the women's game um, might be, it's not as obvious as, as the two that we're going to talk about in a second, but I just think that would be intriguing and, and could definitely support, um, you know, live, live basketball and, and would certainly enjoy having a team there. There are obviously places that I've lived that have had WNBA teams over the years that still have NBA teams to support. Um, I think Nashville would be interesting because they don't have an NBA team and, and maybe it would be kind of an interesting change of pace. Um, I don't know. What do you think? That's the hard part right now. So a lot of the names I can think of are, are cities that have already had a team and we're going to be hitting that specific topic. So I'm trying to think of a, a city that hasn't, hasn't seen that yet. And there's a couple of elements. Like you can find a city that has a lot of times they're looking at cities that have NBA teams and, and they can, kind of piggyback off that momentum. And I wonder if finding a city that doesn't particularly have an NBA team or an NBA pedigree might help. Like this is your pro basketball team. I think it's helped the storm in Seattle to an element and Connecticut to an element. I'm going to go nuts really quick. This is going to sound like a weird idea that I'm in. I think the WNBA finds a way to spawn the return of the spirits of St. Louis. Okay. St. Louis lost an NFL team. I'm sure they're looking for, for more pro sports to promote. They've never really had much of a, uh, NBA traction. You know, they had an ABA team in the spirits, which one of the most underrated team names in the history of sports, the spirits of St. Louis. And why not see if you can reinvent a brand that a lot of people connect to and find a way to hitch your wagon to support women's athletics and give St. Louis a basketball team to be excited about. I mean, yeah. listen, that's that's me overlooking the St. Louis Billikins, and I can't <laughs> I can't do that too hard on my Billikins. But I think the I think the I think you have some there. And if you don't take that direct name, you don't take that direct name. There's a lot of reasons why you would wouldn't do that. But I think it'd be a fun angle. And so that's my weird yeah, take. I- I thought you were building up to saying bringing back the Comets because we've talked about how we missed the Comets uniform. Yeah, and I was I was trying to think of a city that hadn't had a WNBA team yeah, yet. The, like, the, yeah. the two that I I kind of left on the table because I didn't know if we wanted to hit them or not. Because this is if you ever search this, this will be on every list. 
is Toronto probably needs to be looked at um, just being the the biggest place. It's becoming more of a basketball city now that they just won an NBA championship, but it's got like six and a half million people. It's the, it's the biggest metropolitan area in Canada. The other one is just the Bay area. Um, yeah. Just because of how, I mean, how powerful and, some of the Pac-12 teams are uh, in the college and game and the fact that it's the biggest area that doesn't have a WNBA franchise, that that seems like an obvious pick. That's And that's been obviously been a heavy discussion as well. I think Toronto and the Bay Area have been the big ones. I think another one that tends to come up in my brain uh, has been has, is Boston. Like It's interesting that Boston doesn't quite have a team. The one thing that I think hurts it just a bit, and this is maybe a weird niche take, uh, the Boston Breakers, the uh, Boston's NWSL team, really wasn't a successful venture. They ended up moving on. Um, so I'm interested to see if the, um, you know, if that is a telltale sign to see if, if Boston would support mm. that that level of a team. Boston's a very loyal fan base city, so it's obviously very possible that they would. Uh, I'm not trying to say they wouldn't. So that's where it's interesting there. Um, so, you know, that's another one that comes to mind. There was a very specific question on traction with Toronto. I know there's been a lot of chatter on, um, you know, there was their high level potential for Toronto and there's organizations that are trying to push for, for Toronto, but some of them came off faulty. The general bit, what I've seen again, we're not high level insiders by any means. The high level chatter I've seen is there's definitely an intrigue to find a spot in Toronto. It doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. I would say if there is a focus right now, it's on trying to strengthen the current WNBA markets as much as possible. Uh, as opposed to trying to expand, obviously expansion would be huge because you have such a high level of talent that you're trying to find spots for. But there are a handful of markets in the WNBA right now that really need to find a way to get off the ground. And I see why you would want to bolster that. Also, there is a little bit of nuance that comes with trying to add a market in Canada. Uh, you know, just what, it, you know, there's a lot of legalities that come with, with adding that to the book. Obviously, very possible. Almost every other league does it. Uh, but it does add kind of a new niche piece to it. But I, I will say that I think it happens and I think it needs to happen soon because, um, the WNBA has one of the biggest supporters in, in Anila on Twitter. And I just, she just deserves a hometown team. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and well, there's lots of players come out of Canada now. Like it's a, it's a good, uh, it's oh, a good yeah. system that Huge. produces a lot of pros. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, there's, a very high level play. We had a Canadian start in the all-star game last year. Keeners. Like I, I think that that is a hard piece for, her, but uh, yeah, my Neil shout out just stays, you know, W W hoops blog, you know, check it out. But um, yeah, I think that stands out in my head really quick. Let's let's, I want to hit the, uh, the former market discussion. Cause I just think that's always fun. You called out the comments and I think that's probably the first one. That's like, how like I more than like how are they not have a team is like how did that not um like one of the most dominant sports dynasties potentially won the first four championships and then within a handful of years is out the door um which I'm mainly bringing up because shameless plug uh we have one final Patreon program preview to get before the end of the month at the end of April we're going to uh sneak preview our debut episode of W History where we'll be chronicling teams, players, and storylines from the history of the WNBA as a league 
and jumping into questions. And our debut episode, I don't know if I've made this official, I don't know if I've told you, Logan, will be chronicling the Houston Comets, uh, the story of the WNBA's first great dynasty um, and what, what you know, led to, to essentially the end of their story. Um, so still doing research on that, still digging in on that. I just thought I'd drop a shameless plug there. Comets aside, Logan, if I have a feeling I know where you're going with it. Um, so I'm going to, but I'm going to let you kick it off. If I, you could pick one former market, where are you taking I'm going to surprise you here. I'm going to say Miami. I think that's okay. I think that's where I would go. And I, for a couple different reasons, the chief among them being that I, I think, <laughs> I think he could tap Dwayne Wade and be like, we need to get a team here and he would be willing to help. Um, but yeah. But also because Miami is one of those former markets that I think uh, I think there are markets now that could support the women's game that just couldn't in the mid 2000s. Uh, maybe they I, I don't know if they expanded too quickly, if people just weren't ready to accept that women could play sports. We obviously are still struggling with that in 2020. So, you know, um, but that's a market that I think now uh, would would be fine uh, supporting a professional women's team. And I, I think also just one of those cities that people would love to play in and, and could do a lot of interesting things with the marketing and the look and, you know, host all-star games, host the finals. Uh, they could, uh, they could do things like that easily with, with just being just such a big metro area already. Uh, and being a, I don't want to say it's a great, it's not a standout sports city necessarily, but they certainly support sports in, in every other professional league. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, a good place to be, but on this, this is under the condition that they don't go back to being the Miami soul. I was about to say that I, I think I need a name change. Yeah. And one of the main reasons on that is because one thing that adds to a Miami WNBA team is they might be the only like opportunity that could rival the Liberty's color scheme. Yep. <laughs> like what, what the heat won't do the, you know, the Miami heat aren't just committing to their city Jersey lineup being the regular lineup. Like, that's staring you right in the face, Miami, whatever's like, I don't see why you don't do it. Um, so I, I like to call it on that. Um, this is where I surprise you. So I, I think I've talked a lot about Salt Lake and its potential to take on a team in this era and do it effectively for a lot of market reasons. I want to call back to the NWSL. Logan, the team in the NWSL that has the highest um, attendance by a country mile are are the Portland Thorns. Portland Thorns FC averages over twenty thousand fans a game. Goodness, in a twenty five thousand seat stadium, so that, so very near sellout. Um, at least eighty percent capacity in you know on average. I mean that's every single game. They're pulling that many people. Um, and a lot of that stems from, obviously, you have a lot of Timbers fan loyalty, but granted, you also have a lot of Blazer fan loyalty. And your star player in Portland is a very avid women's athletics supporter. Just today, as we're recording this, gets on Twitter and defiant to all the bros who follow him said that 2K needs a career mode for WNBA players. Yeah, um, I think... Um, there's a lot of potential there. You have already a, a fan base that's willing to support women's athletics. Let's re-envision this. That's another case where I would move away from the Portland fire. Months ago, you called out the Portland Bridget. I think the name speaks for itself. Uh, you, you put them, um, in the Mo- Moda Center. That's still yep. the name. 
got it. I was going to say Rose Garden. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, cause that's still what I'm used to. Um, you know, put them in the Moto Center. And I actually could see there being a, a pretty sizable bump if, in Portland. So, and honestly, you could play in the Coliseum too. If, if you got to play in like a packed 10,000 seat stadium, the Coliseum is not a great venue for basketball. It's, it's old and it's not very good, but I, I think they should play in the Moda Center. Not to mention, um, you have two Oregon college markets that are hype for women's basketball right now. Right. Well, uh, on top of yeah. that, you have Portland as a city that, short of an NFL team, wants whatever you can give. They want Major League Baseball in Portland. I think they would absolutely welcome women's basketball in Portland, since obviously it's it's become kind of it's it's Eugene is the the uh, uh, where U of O is, and it's like kind of the Nike hub and the. Well, Beaverton is the Nike hub. The, this, it's very sports centric area at this point because of like they do the Olympic trials there. Like Oregon sports has been really good now as a university for a while. Um, like obviously Phil Knight and the Nike experience is all throughout the area. So like I, I think that's drawn a lot of attention to it being a, a really, is it possible to be like not just a sports city, but really just like they're really into athletics there? Yeah. Like. <laughs> This is going to sound really nerdy, but like, I, I really, I'm, I'm a weird nut for track and field. I always have been, um, especially when I actually was a competitor 80 pounds ago. But, uh, if, if you're really into track and field, the Eugene Invitational is like must see television. It's, it's like that, that's a definite. So I totally feel you on that end. Yeah. I, I think if I think of a city that really, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, down to the numbers, you have a, a professional women's team that is is seeing a lot of response and a lot of pickup and you have a market that once they catch on loyalty tends to drive them pretty well i could see portland doing pretty well yeah, and, and that's coming from a guy that really doesn't want to say that but you know <laughs> what the, the way, governors of oregon and california are coming together and working together I, as yeah. a california kid i'm willing to to reach over the corner and well, be, well that's what i was gonna say is a, a portland team gets an automatic kind of a uh, maybe a, not necessarily a rivalry because, you know, the storm has been so good lately and the sparks have been so good lately and historically, like if a Portland team comes along, they're instantly going to want to be a part of that discussion. And you know, they're going to get flack from those teams on that West coast market. Like, ah, you haven't done anything yet. You got to earn it. So y- there's automatically yeah. some intrigue on the I five corridor and the Oregon, California rivalry. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. I think there's a lot of potential there. So always a fun discussion. Um, this is an interesting, uh, case here as we come out of pre-agency, obviously the draft coming up, uh, you know, trades, all that maneuvering, the fact that who knows how we're going to structure the season with everything going on right now, Mona at, at Quig's loot play. It's like my, it's like my, it might be my favorite, uh, handle of all of our questioners today. Um, which team is your underdog team for the upcoming season? Uh, if if I was going to clickbait title this, it would be one of those, my answer will shock you sort of deals. Uh, I think the fever. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Um, and and for a lot of reasons, I think of the teams that finished outside of the playoffs, obviously it's it's not the spiciest to choose number nine. Um, but yeah. I, I think they are finally oriented in the right direction. I I will not go so far as to say that I would trust them. Uh, they, they still have to earn that. Uh, but from what we saw last year, and I think with a new coach and with what I think is going to be, uh, uh, either, I mean, I, in the draft, I expect them to get either 
Satu Sabli or Lauren Cox, who is a game changer for a franchise that, that is willing to, to go all in on them. Um, I could see them not just making the playoffs this year, but finally being relevant and maybe, maybe beating up, uh, on, on some teams that are on uh, the opposite trajectory. Um, we've, we've had a lot of consistency from a couple teams, uh, in the league over the last couple of years, but I could see uh, a couple teams in that playoff race last year dropping out. Um, we don't know really what, you know, Minnesota and Phoenix and some, some long standing, really, really good teams have in the tank, uh, in 2020. And I hope we get to see this season in fullness. It, it feels like forever that I, I don't know if we're ever going to get sports back, but if we do, uh, I hope it's in full and in, in we get like, you know, the 34, 36 games. Cause I, I think the fever could do a lot of damage. I, I really like that take. And obviously that stems from, um, I, I gave you like a dad lecture today about the fever, which is, you did. Uh, I, I, I was, and I was like, I was wondering where that came from. And then I listened I having, to our last episode and realized I, I did, I did. Yeah. I was mean. I was too mean. I was, I was having a classic quarantine lunch break and I think I was just feeling grumpy and you'd made like a fever comment in our chat. And I was like, listen, the fever were two games out of a playoff spot and they've got great big and you, and then you responded. And I was like, I, I might've come strong here. Um, <laughs> I was but, just like, I just think they should take Sobley at three. If she's there, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> I, when you made that point, I was like, Oh, this wasn't about the fever. This was just about like, if you're at the three and you don't, Take those. Uh, okay, I get it. I get it. it sorry, it might be. But I was, um, I was mean, and I've been mean, kind of on purpose because I want them to prove me wrong. Uh, but I think maybe this is the year they finally do it. Yeah, I, I think there's high potential for it. Uh, for definite, um, there's a lot of ways to make that work, especially with a lot of the you know the shifting in their coaching staff. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to make that happen. The Fever are definitely on my list. I'd say if I had to pick another team, it's probably Atlanta. I think Atlanta had low key one of the two or three best off seasons this year uh, going down the list. You pick up, you pick up Kalani Brown, pick up Glory Johnson, you pick up Shakina Strickland, you pick up Courtney Williams at the buzzer. Yeah. You have the fourth selection in the draft. You have a chance to, to either get, you know, a high level offensive player of a, of a, a Kennedy um, Carter type. Sorry. I can't want to say Kennedy Williams. Who is Kennedy Williams? Probably because there's two Williams on the roster as I'm staring at it. Uh, but on the dream roster, uh, you have a kid Carter. We talked a lot about Ty Harris. I mean, you have so much potential to put in a high skill player onto that roster who could potentially flourish. Uh, I have a lot of faith. Given last year, I still have a lot of faith in Nikki Collin and her ability to put together a good product. Um, I, I feel pretty confident in seeing the dream, uh, put together a, a, a solid piece, uh, with what they're looking to do. I like the roster. I like the moves. Um, but with a lot of that, we'll just have to see. Uh, but I, I like the form of that question. Obviously, is kind of, you know, who could come out of nowhere who's a good underdog. Um, from there, uh, there's really kind of two main pieces. I think the last thing was it, the last question, will probably the most fun. We'll, we'll make sure we have a decent amount of time for that one. Uh, but really quick, I think I think we've hit this one before. Uh, but at KWazi88, which is actually at a uh, link 81. I said, I said 88. Okay. Well, 81. It's, it's almost bedtime. Everyone asks, why is there no WNBA merch? Even though there is demand, uh, this is something we've hit a lot, which is, uh, the WNBA's merch game has, has come a long way, still struggles here and there. Um, what's kind of your take on, on the state of, of WNBA merch? We've talked a lot about 
levels that they need to get to. I think the rebranded recent years did really help them. I think they were able to roll out uh, some quality products and some new stuff that's really helped. Um, what do you think's the next step to utilize the merch community to to help extend WNBA's brand? What's like if you're if you're in the merch department of a team or in the WNBA, what's the next move you make? Well, they've been playing it really safe with jerseys and T-shirts over the years because basically if you're an all-star or you've been a perennial all-star, you know, it's possible to find your jersey. Uh, but if you're a new player, like you have to be Asia Wilson basically to to crack into that tier of like, oh, you can find your gear and stuff. Um, like we, we went to the all-star game last summer and I was actually pretty pleased that they had uh, the amount of T-shirt selections that they did. But there still wasn't as much just cool stuff as I thought there would be. Um, the state of WNBA merch is that it's got a long way to go. And I think it's they're playing it safe right now. The same way they're playing it safe with not overexpanding cities. Um, they're, they're trying to make sure that the trajectory that they're on is that they're gaining viewers every year. They're finally getting uh, some, I would say, some uh, social and media attention, but still just a fraction of the percentage that they need in order to really break into mm-hmm. the basketball fan market. Here's, here's what I'll say. I don't know if it's super important that we get WNBA shorts this year, even though I would really like that. What we do need in like immediately, as soon as whoever's listening with the power to do this finishes this episode is we need WNBA basketballs to me to, to be like, more Everywhere. widely available at every yeah. game. I want to be able to get one because that's something you can get at every NBA game is your team on a basketball, like in their color mm-hmm. scheme or just like the NBA basketball. You can, you can get online right now and you can order a cheap, like $15 rubber one because they make those in every color. But if you actually want a good one, it's like a hundred dollars and you have to go to some shady website. Um, yeah, I want to be able to go to a game and for between 20 and $35, pick up like a pretty nice WNB basketball for my daughter or for a gift for, yeah, I don't just for me just to have one. Like those need to be available because the more you see, yeah. like the whole idea is people want to be able to watch players like, like in the league and want to be them. And that's, it's something Allie Quigley mentioned specifically in her trib article. Yeah. Was that like the regular basketball wasn't good enough anymore? I want to be in the league. I want to play with the the orange and yep. the orange and oatmeal ball. Like, and it's just weird to me that you can't find one anywhere. It is so insanely brandable, um, and it's been for so long that I think uh, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things that you say it's time to, um, like it, the I should be able to go to any Walmart, any Target. And, and be able to see one on on the shelves like it, yeah. that just makes sense to me. I still stand by this. I th- I think teams need to continue to up their hat game a little bit more. Yeah. There have been some cool hats here and there, but I think it needs to continue. There's been some decent snapbacks, some decent flat brims. I haven't really seen a good WMDA dad hat. That'd be that'd be sweet. Um. And then some level of callback branding of like the NBA did a promotion. Maybe it's just because I'm obsessed with Converse. They did. They have a promotion with Converse where they have NBA branded Converse. I wonder if Converse would be willing to say like, "Hey, some of the OG teams, the Liberty, the Sparks, the, the Mercury. You know, we'll we'll do some cool stuff." Um, 
I think it stands alone that we we need a good handful of WNBA players that have their own shoe lines. Yes. Uh, we've Agreed. talked about that for a long time. I think sneaker lines is a pretty big deal and would really go a, a long way in into how fans connect. I mean, that's a huge way with how fans connect. And really the main thing that stands out to me, for better or for worse, something that has helped perpetuate the NBA merch and like their overall brand community, whether you like it or you hate it, is city jerseys because yeah. and it's not just to buy city jerseys, but because teams that have effective city uniforms that they've put out year on year ha- are able to perpetuate an added line of merch that has added so much revenue. There's a reason the Utah Jazz will not move away from their original city jersey setup of the the multi like the sunrise look of like the yellows and reds. None of those colors even fit into the Jazz's color scheme, but I see those colors everywhere in Utah because they were able to open up a line of city uni themed t-shirts, hats, socks, whatever you want to call it, and it's everywhere. People connect with that brand. I see branding centered around Miami's city jersey setup more than I see any yeah. other Miami Heat related branding everywhere. If you have a WMA team that effectively can leverage a city jersey, and by the way, a jersey that you could finally center around the team that has nothing to do with who's advertising for them, yeah, that adds a whole new – if the Mercury are able to just blow it out of the water with a city look, so you have Mercury fans that are clamoring for anything they can get their hands on there. That's an added line of merch that's unique, that's interchangeable. You can do it year on year. And just gives an extra identity you can give to your yeah, team for and, people to connect And that to. allows you to open up opportunities as well to like throw back uniforms and at least bring back elements of those, those old ones that might, you know, might be worth bringing back. Here's, here's what they should do. I feel like this is a compromise that, that, you know, soulless corporations might not hate. Maybe they will. I don't know. You tell me. I feel like allow WNBA teams to wear their city jerseys like, three or four home games a year, which is not very many. It's maybe what 10% of their total games. Um, like it's, it's not a lot, but sell them in the stadium every game of the year. So like let fans be like, I love those look like I, I want one. That's the one I want to sport. When I go to the game, I will wear it everywhere. It's my favorite Jersey, but Still, for the sake of on TV and like televised games, you still have the jerseys with the ads front and center almost all the time. But allow the team to wear them at home a couple times to be like, oh, it's a special night, it's a rivalry night. Storm are playing the, the Mercury. It's a, you know, if we can allow NFL to do color rush, which was a horrible idea, <laughs> we can, yeah. we can allow four games every year for, for the home team to sport their city jersey and just decide what those games are going to be. But sell them year round, sell them everywhere. I like it. I, uh, I think, um, I, yeah, I just think that adds a whole dynamic that just makes it work, which is, is an added piece to it. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of the specifics of the question on this was, it was, you know, there is a demand. It doesn't seem like it's widespread. I do understand that take. I think right now it's tough just because I think that trajectory was trending up after last season, much like so much about the WNBA as a brand was trending. And this whole virus thing put a, a halt to a lot of that. That's just really unfortunate. That's actually a, a very similar to a claim that Sue Bird made in an interview recently where she said she really felt like the WNBA was set to explode and this really kind of pumped the brakes on that. And it's really tough. Yeah. But well, I, I think the trajectory is there. I th- And I think that's in the WNBA's long-term plans. You know, with 
their branding plan and, and a lot of their marketing was that a lot of this stuff would get trickled down over a few years. So yeah. hopefully that will expand quite a bit. Here's here's something, and I I think especially the the college not having the college tournament this year was was really painful, but mm-hmm. it was painful for everyone for a lot of reasons. Um, here's something I never really thought about before in this light, but you know how we talk all the time about how like oh more people are watching the league, so we're giving it more coverage and we talk on the show about like, no, like you gave it the coverage it deserved almost and more people watch. Like that's, it's a very weird chicken and egg cause and effect thing. If, if the concern is not enough people buy merch, so we're going to load it up with like corporate ads and not make it very exciting or good looking. I think there, that's another case of looking at it through the wrong. You're looking at the wrong end, right? Like if you make it worth wearing, more people will buy it. That, that seems to be, intuitive um so so similar to the media thing that we talk about all the time maybe you just have to maybe you have to take the first step and make the uniforms good (laughs) hey logan um i didn't i got some pizza i didn't think you'd want any of the pizza though so i just went ahead and loaded it up with like all of your least favorite topping (laughs) like you can take some if you i guess if you want but i just didn't think you would so well you didn't think it would because you're like i bet logan hates pizza he never takes me up on my offer like, <laughs> yeah, like, on. obviously, like, come on, would, would this would be popular if I, you ate it? Like, I, I know that sounds dumb, but I really think the argument behind a lot of the things that, that the league hasn't been able to do yet is like, well, there's no demand for it. It's like, well, the make phrase, it, put it in demand. Like, <laughs> the phrase isn't, well, we haven't built it yet because the people haven't come. The phrase <laughs> was, if you build it, they will come. Like, yeah, well, it's technically he will come, but yeah, um, people will come, Ray. But uh, anyway, I I think it's a fun discussion. I I want to hit the last thing. Uh, we've taken up a lot of real estate already, which I guess has been customary as of late. That said, this is really the question I think I've been most interested in. I really like this one. This is uh, Dylan Queller um, at Dylan Queller on Twitter, which, by the way, in talking about like new markets for the WNBA, he had one of the most interesting callouts on our thread that I wouldn't want to miss. He called out Albuquerque, which for some people sounds nuts, but oh, I, I wonder. I, I want it for the uniform possibilities, but i I don't think I don't think that would be the next move for a league looking to expand and, and make money. But but I hear now, you. Here's, I hear here's, you. Here's the thing, and I don't know what the name of the team could be. A lot of people, like, there's a very obvious aesthetic everyone would picture when it comes to New Mexico. It also is, like, considered the hotter balloon capital of the world. Oh. And there's something there. That's that's a thought. That's a thought. We're there's gonna, something Let's there's something this there. and come back around, but I, I'm going to let that percolate. I sort of, we might add this to um to our, our sports looks um show on, on Patreon, check us out on Patreon, sports looks, uh, where we talk about unis and brands. I almost kind of want to just pick markets and do an activity where we like in one sitting, try to create a WNBA brand for a city, <laughs> which is like, here's what we're calling. Here's what the logo is going to look like. Here's the whole setup. Cause Albuquerque's one's actually super interesting. Um, that said, uh, Dylan Queller asks, uh, to send things out. What is the best starting lineup from a team made entirely out of this year's draft class for every prediction? Position. This is such so, a good question. So, so you get to choose from uh, the the draft, the potential draftees on this list, uh, and you get to select the uh, the starting five. So, I'm I'm going to go ahead. 
I'm going to let you go ahead and go first. And just like two back court, three front court. Like where, okay. where are you going? Okay. Uh, I'm going to, tr- I'm not going to pick more than two organ players just to make this a little more. <laughs> Is that the rule? Um, Cause you could pick three and you could have, you have every right to do so. Um, this is a really good question, by the way. Um, like shout out for asking this very good question. I, and by the way, you can the, double up is totally fine. So, like, I may have a lot of the same that you do. Okay, I just, okay. just like creating your best five. What are you thinking? The the question for me is really the wing, um, because I think you grab Sabrina and you grab Savoy, two players that we know are immediate impact players in the league. They they played against Team USA and held their own. We we know what they can do at the next level already. You get those down. The the fellow front court player that I'm going to pair with Sabali, I think is going to be Lauren Cox. I'm tempted to go Bella Allery, um, but I I think Lauren Cox actually brings a, a good complement to what Sabali can do down low um, and add to the defensive end. So that's going to be my my front court. Um, I'm going to take Ty Harris in the back court. Uh, my, my Ty Harris stock is really is, well, Ty Harris's stock is really rising for me over the last couple of days. The more I've looked into her game, she's just super dynamic. She's really fast. And I think she could play along Sabrina. Great. So the question is, <laughs> who's going to be, who's going to be that spot, the distributor, the sharpshooter, you know, I think, I think Kyle might, might've nailed this. I am so high on um, uh, Loxa, Tia Loxa out of Latvia. Just after he talked about it the other day, I looked up those highlights. I know you did too. And we talked about it. And as a wing player, I'm just super interested in what she can do. Um, I I would be very happy with that starting five going. And, and maybe Dallas will actually have that starting five before all is said and done because <laughs> they could, if they wanted it's pretty to pretty darn close. Um, but I feel good about that. Sabrina, uh, Sobley, Loxa, and then down low, Lauren Cox. Um, who does get, Oh, and Ty Harris in the, in the back. You throw, that's, you that's throw Ty Harris in there somewhere to make things fun. I honestly, when I created my five, I, I almost is exactly that. So I, that's, I'm going to make a couple of changes just for the sake to make the interest, the, Discussion interesting. Um, just for the sake of it, I'm pulling Sabrina out. The reason I would say that is that's someone that I don't need a strong starting five to potentially build effective, ba- you know, basketball out of. So, for the sake of like players that are entwined together, I'm gonna try to make it interesting that way. Um, I like keeping Loxa. I love that. I like Ty Harris. I might switch out Harris for like a Tia Cooper type player. Ooh, or maybe Crystal Dangerfield. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about Dangerfield um, too. Vlox and Dangerfield, because I think that they just they would they would support each other really well in that element. Um it's hard to <laughs> if you have the potential to put Cox and Sobley together, you kinda have to do you, it. But it's hard to, to say it's, like who do I you think not it's take? the right answer. I'm gonna have fun and I'm gonna say like I'm just not gonna put an Oregon player on this this team this lineup just to have fun with it. I'm going to keep Lauren Cox. Something that makes sense. You're going to have a stout, strong defender. Um, I'm then going to drop an Allery uh, nice. because a, a good big, but also has scoring potential anywhere on the court. And I think where I can make it fun 
is you're in between. You have a stout scorer, someone that can stretch across the floor. You have someone who can really hold the the front court defensively with Lauren Cox. And then I just kind of want I want Beatrice Montpremier in there just has my muscle like nice like my That's my like solid rebounder uh can you know can play physical can get quality you know gets quality shots I like that as a fun piece I do want to do one thing just for the heck of it which is and I'm trying to think of a way to make this happen Kate Logan I'm doing this for I'm doing this for your sake uh because I think this would be fun. I, I'm, I we have the potential for the first time to do what I would call the all Oregon team. <laughs> so okay, this, so, this Yonescu, is what I was going to talk about. Yonescu, yeah, Yonescu, Sabali, Hebrew, Pivich, Minion Moore. Yes, and and just go. Even though all the positions don't 100 percent line up, let's just like, like let's get basically our best junior seniors out of the Oregon teams and just join forces and let's just see what happens. I legitimately, I wanted one of us to put Sabrina and Pivich on the the same team together. Cause I think they I would definitely actually want to know how super I well. Definitely want to know how that would pan out. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, I, I tried to find a spot for Pivich and that's something like in our mock draft. I really wanted to find a spot for her in the first round. I'm a, I'm a huge Pivich fan, but yeah, that's the, the world of Oregon basketballs has blown up lately and it's made it fun. So uh, I like that a lot. And like, I feel like we could have gone a thousand. Like we didn't hit Kennedy Carter. We didn't hit Megan Walker. We didn't hit like Kiki, South Carolina. I could have put Jocelyn Willoughby in there somewhere. There's just a lot of different ways we could have gone with these pieces, but that's a fun discussion. I like that. Thank you, Dylan, for that piece. Um, uh, that's really everything we have for questions, Logan, um, on your end. Is there anything else you'd want to bring to the table before we put a bonus one? Uh, yeah, just really quick. I, I hope we have the opportunity to get together, uh, maybe just on Twitter or just in written form, probably not on a recorded episode because the, the draft is really, is coming up on us here in just a couple of days, but I think it'd be fun to do a second round. Uh, we did that first round mock draft and there's still so many players. I wish we had the time to talk about, um, I, there's another Ogumuke, uh, our, our girl Haley Gorecki might go in the second round, you know, someone that we've had on the show. Haley. Um, um, yeah, Erica, I, Rice. I would really like to to put our heads together and see maybe what we think our second round is going to look like, just because I I kind of enjoy testing us, you know, like I, I like throwing our, our thoughts out there and then waiting for draft day to see, you know, how many we can get right. So uh, we'll we'll see if that develops into anything. Um, but that's that's really my only my only thought going away from this is just that I'm so excited for this draft class. I hope it's not just, you know, overinflated hype based on getting to watch all these players play this year. I really hope that it's because it's super strong and going to add a lot to the WNBA, uh, the talent pool moving forward. Definitely. No, that, that'd be an interesting discussion. We'll see if we can fit that in. If we can't, I know uh, Friday, of course, is draft night. We're looking to um, potentially host a live stream for that. So be on the lookout for that. We're just seeing if we can make schedules work. We have... All kinds of weird life happening, as I'm sure you all are familiar with. Uh, but if we can make it work, we're looking to do a live draft, and then uh, we'll be recording our review pretty quickly after. Uh, next Monday, I think, is our plan to roll out our review and draft grades for all of the teams, uh, which is a great customary traditional episode for all of you to have bookmarked and ready to call <laughs> us out on when every single player we're down on suddenly flourishes. So if there's a player you like that we're down on, you could 
pretty well plan on <laughs> them having a great rookie season. So, um, so be, definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, we'll be looking to, to do all things draft throughout the rest of the week. Uh, we might have some quick reacts to uh, the horse challenge on Thursday. It's been fun to have a lot of stuff to talk about, and then we'll be rolling out with our draft review in another episode next week. Um, but until all of that, thank you so much for listening to this midweek episode of WNBA Nation. It's definitely been fun for us. We hope it's been fun for you. And until we talk to you yet again, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Logan Jones. And we'll catch you next time.